Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, mental, and child abuse in a church setting. Listener discretion is advised. What you're about to hear is a story of events that unfolded within a church. Events that define truth is stranger than fiction. Events that ultimately led to the escape of several families. These families are known as the Rebellion. So now it's time to describe the people of the Rebellion. So obviously, there is me, Lizzie, and Luke. And then Estelle, since you're here, you can talk about yourself a tiny bit. My husband and I both, like I said, we are faithful members for 15 to 20 years. Between the two of us have been married for 15 years. And uh, my husband's as the director of security and me as the director of nursery felt that we need to really get some of these things sorted out. And your husband is Elmer. Yes, Elmer. And there was also... Rachel and Romeo, they were Sunday school teachers, and they were kind of like the couple that didn't necessarily have any significant issues themselves, but they were like, you know what, guys, this is a problem. We're going to join you and try to help you out. They also had several people who sought out advice from them who were going through personal issues in the church themselves, so they kind of had an idea of, of more how widespread it was because they had several people that had had problems personally coming to them and asking them for advice. And then there was also Betty and Bert. They were the slightly older couple than the rest of us, but they had children the same age as us. So about this time, there were not only uh, conversations about the training and the the teachers in the church and all these concerns, but there were also concerns and talk of other, just every, all the situations in the church happening. I received a text from Elmer saying that he has a meeting with assistant pastor and one of the deacons that day at the church, and he wanted to include a, a number of us concerned guys to, uh, to be involved in this meeting. Elmer scheduled the meeting with the assistant pastor and deacon to discuss the issues and concerns surrounding allegations and accusations against a missionary who was very involved with our church, very close to our church, and issues and concerns about that individual being around kids. And when the meeting was scheduled, it was going to just be Elmer and the assistant pastor and the deacon. And I felt that this was a sensitive enough matter and we're peers, we're friends. I thought we felt like family and I thought it was appropriate that Elmer was shown support. I'm not going to come here and pretend to say that I am the closest of friends with all of these individuals. Um, but I felt that I knew well enough that if I was in that situation, I would have wanted some support. And so that's why I wanted to go show for Elmer because it wasn't, I don't believe it was confirmed for sure. 
if Bert and Luke were going to be able to attend the meeting. So I just wanted to make sure that Elmer had somebody on his side. Uh, we all four did wind up showing up, Luke, Elmer, Bert, and myself. And then the assistant pastor was there in the deacon and Elmer ran the show. It was his meeting and he ran the show. This meeting was not really about specific situations or allegations, but the overall, uh, the overall question about the standards in the church, respect for women and children in the church, and protection of everyone in the church. And really, there was uh, there was a unified concern about some of the actions that have been taking place in the church by some of some of the men that we've touched on some of the situations. And uh, the large question was, why has the generation that was ahead of us not seen or voiced any of these concerns as well? So this meeting was to kind of round up those questions and get answers from the leadership within the church and how decisions will be made regarding these situations as they progress, as we see more, and how we can be sure that things are getting handled properly. Um, a large part of the conversation revolved around a missionary that our church was uh, supporting at the time, that there were a lot of past allegations going years back against this missionary, and then some new news coming out, and we just had a question like, hey, why, like, with all these allegations in the past, why, like, what did the church see at the time when we started supporting them? When, and if the church discovered those, what was done to address those allegations? And why are we still supporting him at this point? And the assistant pastor came back with, uh, with some, uh, you know, we're not actually supporting him anymore. This was concerning and disturbing to hear about. Um, so they addressed that right off the bat. I mean, the allegations go far back. There were a number of investigate, dozens of investigations in these claims. And when when we ask the assistant pastor, if this happens again with a missionary, are we ready to say no to them and turn them down? And really, the answer that we got was, no, not really. I can't say no to a, a hypothetical question. Um, so... We didn't really get like a satisfactory answer 100% to that. Um, and then some of the situations that we addressed just generally and broadly, um, just how the church is handling situations. I do remember the assistant pastor saying that there are situations in the church that, quote unquote, no one will ever find out about. And that kind of weirded me out like they're hiding something. Not necessarily that it, it, I understand it people's confidentiality and protecting that and protecting their privacy in these situations. So, um, so I took that quote with a grain of salt, um, but it still kind of concerned me that it seemed like they might be trying to hide or protect the church's image with that. I wouldn't say anyone left feeling satisfied, but there was nowhere further to go with that conversation from that meeting, I believe. Uh, but the other portion of that meeting was talking about the situation that happened with Luke and Lizzie and the teacher, uh, Arnold, who happened to be the assistant pastor's son. And Elmer came in expressing his compassion and support of 
Arnold as a human being that he has known for a long time and just saying, you know, sometimes things happen and you just, there are consequences and things need to happen. And of course, I'm sure that's been discussed about how the assistant pastor wanted to recuse himself from having to deal discipline to his son, which appropriately so and everything. But the main part that I want to take and mention in this, in case it hasn't been shared, is that a lot of this meeting felt very defensive from the side of leadership, mostly the assistant pastor, which I can't say I completely argue against because it probably felt like two sides uh, facing off against each other. So it was probably a natural thing for him to feel defensive. But in this situation with Luke's daughter, he tried to come across from the perspective of, well, nobody's been thinking about me because this is a situation that involves my son. You know, what about me? And that's a point to make. Uh, this had been months, many months since the event had happened. And I wanted to make sure and turn things around and say, well, what about Luke's daughter, Lily? What about her? And basically it was kind of like, well, what about her? I said, and I posed the question on if anyone from leadership had checked in on her. She had a grown man touch her inappropriately in a physical way. And I use the expression of if it had happened to one of my kids, I have, I, we have a tricky enough time getting our kids to get excited to go to church. Uh, it's not terrible, but it's not the easiest thing. But if that happened to one of my kids, I know that it would have been the hardest thing to get them to go back because their trust would have been completely broken and shattered. And so I posed that to them and leadership on being like, has anyone checked on Luke's daughter, Lily? And to which the assistant pastor turned rather nonchalantly to Luke and said, well, how is she doing? Something very short, a very brief question. And Luke expressed that uh, it was, there was hesitancy. There was some difficulty getting her to go back to class because of what had occurred and what had happened. And that was basically the conversation around that. I don't really think it went much beyond that. But that still speaks volume because of the immense lack of compassion for a young little girl that was mistreated terribly. And it just, I must say from the assistant pastor and his personality, I'm not extremely shocked because that has been kind of shown before, but still at the same time to show such a lack of caring for any member of the congregation going through something similar is just baffling to me. So that I believe is one of the biggest points to take away from that original men's meeting. So we kind of left the meeting at that. We did not get to address the main points that we wanted to with just the overall 
church response to allegations, to to situations like this. So it kind of left us unsatisfied. Personally speaking, it left me unsatisfied walking away from this from this meeting with really not a whole lot to run with some situations were dealt with now that they look back they might see things a little differently with uh, regards to like missionaries with with a bad rap sheet or um, allegations coming out the large issue was not fully satisfactorily addressed and that left us hanging Now, I do have some interesting perspective to add because there was a meeting that I was a part of that no one else was a part of. I actually have a long-standing relationship with the deacon that was in the men's meeting. He's actually a very close friend of my family's. Uh, I have had very close personal conversations with him through the years. And at the end of the men's meeting, Elmer expressed that there was the plan and intention to have a meeting with uh, what I will call the young married couples and the families with leadership and their wives, leadership being the assistant pastor, the pastor, and the deacon who was present, and their wives. And he, he expressed that. And so my hopes and intention was to connect with the deacon before that meeting to have a conversation with him. Since... I was on the outside looking in and mostly the same going for the deacon. I was really hoping that we could form and secure a bond ahead of the meeting because from the first, from the men's meeting, you, we could tell that it was, there was the high possibility of an us versus them mentality. Um, I don't want to say that was necessarily intentional, but it's difficult in situations like this to have a conversation and not have it come across that way. And so I was trying to get as much out in front to prepare the deacon and leadership on being like, Hey, we're coming from a, an intentional place on trying to make things better. We do not want to cause problems. We want to be helpful. Uh, this is not going to be easy but we're trying to do this for the better. And so that was what most of our conversation was about. Um, just trying to be real and upfront. Uh, I was not trying to speak for the group whatsoever, but just share on what expectations might be and how we might be able to smooth things over as much as possible for the upcoming meetings. Part of what I expressed too, that I had hopes that would kind of resonate, and I have no idea if with this meeting with the deacon, if this was even shared with the assistant pastor or the pastor. I have no idea if this deacon took information to them or not, or just held on to it for his own perspective. Uh, I do not know. I actually have never had confirmation if he had a conversation with anyone else in leadership from our meeting. But part of the thing that I felt was important to express was just the difference in generational mindsets. A lot of people in leadership are much older than the young married couples. And those generations were very much so the trusting and following leadership blindly, which at that time in life, for the most part, worked rather well. And that's what they tried to instill in their kids, our generation, the ones who were in these young married uh, couples and bringing these questions and concerns up. And I expressed that 
some people specifically in our group had been harmed by that philosophy that you just need to do what you're told. Don't ask questions. This is what's right. I've had my own experience with things like that. I know that some other people in our group had much worse experiences, much serious uh, experiences with that. And so now as adults raising our families, we ask questions. We don't just take people's word for it. We ask questions because we care and we want to make sure that we're making the best decisions for ourselves and for our families. And you can almost boil down these meanings to just that wanting to make sure that we can make things as best as possible for our families, not just our families, but for the church and the congregation. And so that was a major point that I was trying to communicate across. I felt like the meaning went well. I felt like I communicated what I needed to. And I was optimistic for the first family meeting with leadership. However, nothing we could have thought of would have prepared us for what we were about to come up to. So we began like an online group chat and we were discussing and gathering concepts and discussing more weird things like there were no AED defibrillators allowed in the church. And we heard it was because somebody said it was some insurance reason. And we were like, AEDs save lives. Why would they not be allowed? And like, why is there no training for any of these people? Like no CPR training, no first aid training, just nothing... They all wanted to, like, avoid that, those things. And that was another thing that bothered us. There was uh, an announcement from the head of security at the time that uh, he sent out an email to the team announcing that there was going to be some changes. At the time of the email, the security team knew that this current director was going to leave the team at the end of the year. The exiting director of security at that time has already uh, chosen a new uh, security director, which is Elmer. So we knew who the new director was going to be at the time. So when we reviewed the policy, the new changes that he announced, it was uh, kind of concerning. The policy change was that the camera footage review procedures were being changed drastically. All the, t the security team had no access to the footage um, unless you go through a specific team of um, approvers, if you will, which included the pastor, the assistant pastor, the Sunday school director, and a new, a brand new position called the incident investigator, which turned out was our exiting security director. Part of the procedure and the policy change was that the function the security team had called instant replay was effectively taken away. And that was a crucial part of our operations when we, uh, when we actively reviewed the videos real time during services, we would use instant replay to be able to uh, look at an instant that may have happened within the last 10 minutes. And it was crucial because that would help us uh, validate or verify um, what we were looking at and we could take further action from there as a security team. And uh, this highly disturbed me with uh, my background in security and 
uh, even fraud and uh, corporate ethics. The timing was very sketchy and the ethics of the uh, separation of duties and everything that was involved in that whole procedural change was just did not sit right with me. At this point, as the security team changes had been made to the camera system and all of this new policy, um, it was all it was already known that my husband was coming in as the new director. Um, that's Elmer. But he was not included in any of these decisions, and he was not informed until the rest of the team was informed. And he had no say in any of it. So we made a plan, and we gathered together at our house, and we talked for five hours. And we discussed what our plan was, and we... We figured it out and talked talked through it, and we essentially wanted a policy that would remove abusers from their positions if they were accused pending an investigation. And we had other things that we were thinking about, but that was like the biggest part of what we thought was absolutely needed, like the bare minimum of what needed to be done. And at the same, like you know, right before we had that we had planned to meet for this is when the security stuff changed. So at this point, we're, we were like, well, let's talk about the security policy too while we're there, because this involves our safety also. So with all of this in the mix, uh, I decided to reach out to the not only the church security community, but also the security community as a whole. I reached out to one of my friends who's a professor of security program from a local college to weigh in and and I reached out to the church security community um, online that had many different types of churches uh, and their security staff. They all said that the new change of this policy that we were made aware of was not good. Some asked, well, what are they hiding? And some said, wow, that's really suspicious. Or even uh, I've, I was told that, wow, that policy is just plain dumb. Uh, a security trainer even said to run away from the situation as fast as you can. So this was, this was the foundation of, uh, of the changes for the security policy that, that we all wanted to see on top of everything else. So we put together all of this information and... We made a full plan of things to present to the leadership. It included biographies about ourselves, who we were, because we thought it was important to point out that we weren't some random young people that just showed up three months ago and are complaining. Like, we have all been there for more than 10 years. And so we thought that was important to add. And we listed things that we wanted to be done to keep us safe and we also gave timelines for when we when we would like them to be done so that they wouldn't be dragged out forever and you know nothing would ever be done and another thing we agreed on is that you know we felt like it shouldn't just be men at this meeting we wanted the pastor's wife and the deacon's wife we felt like women would add a new dimension and understanding since to this point it kind of seemed like 
maybe the men were just not understanding what we as a as individuals and as a group were trying to say. So Estelle, I believe Elmer took care of doing the meeting planning. He did. We set up the he set up the meeting. He called the pastor. Um, he was upset, which it takes a lot to get him upset. He felt urgent that this needed to be done and needed to be done as soon as possible because we need to just hash it out. Talk about it fully as a large group with all of us and all of the leadership together to really get to the root of what's happening and really get all of the information there at the same time. So he called the pastor and set up the meeting. So in the days following, I believe we were all just very nervous about this meeting. I know I was. Oh my goodness, yes. And so the night of the meeting came and we showed up and we set up in the like a common area of the church. We prepared it, put out some like food and stuff. And we were just, you know, kind of shaking like what is going to happen? We don't know what's going to go on. But we're just like, we can do this. We have a plan and we're just got to hope that they're going to like listen and comprehend and believe us. And so we were planning to have this meeting with the pastor and his wife, the assistant pastor, and a deacon and his wife. And as we were waiting for everyone to show up, another deacon and his wife came in. And then also the Sunday school director and his wife were there. And we were really surprised by this because one of the group had a deeply personal story to share. And they hadn't mentally prepared to tell these other four people. They had only prepared to tell who they were expecting to be there. So that became a source of worry for them. And Pastor walked in and he said, well, we're meeting, you know, in my office. And we're like, okay, well, we just set all this up, but fine, we'll go shove in your tiny little office. So we all get in there and we're sitting and Pastor asked everybody but us in the rebellion, to leave the office. So his wife, all the deacons, the assistant pastor, deacon's wife, like everybody left except for us. And I just felt really weird at that point. Like, why did he have to meet with us? Like, what? And that this is when it, it got a little weird. He went into what I perceived to be kind of a scared rant. And he said, he talked about, what we could and couldn't discuss. It felt very threatening. Uh, he came in and he said, okay, this is what we are not going to do. We are not going to mention names. We're not going to talk about these incidences. And we're not going to be bashing people, which was not in our intention at all. We all came into this meeting really with the heart to just share our concerns and seek understanding and restitution between us and we were not there to bash people we were there to just share our hearts and it came across to me very threatening when he said these things to us and threw us all off my husband and I both at this point considered just leaving because this was not at all the attitude or the spirit that we came into this meeting with when the pastor felt that it was necessary to 
remove everyone else from leadership from the office and have just the young married couples there and essentially talk down to us and tell us what was going to be acceptable to talk about and what wasn't, which was extremely unfair on top of many other things, on top of inviting people who were not originally intended to be in the meeting to then say what was allowed to be talked about and not allowed to be talked about. Because this was a meeting that was requested specifically by Elmer. And frankly, if somebody is requesting a meeting, they have the right to discuss what they feel is necessary. And it is very harmful and disrespectful to try to take that over. Now, there was some of the perspective of saying there are certain people here who don't know certain details, so there are certain things that we don't want talked about. Then why are they in leadership? Why are they in leadership if you do not feel like they can appropriately listen to these conversations and learn about them and handle them appropriately? You were the one who wanted them there. You should have been okay and prepared for that then because that was your decision. That was not our decision. But besides that, it was emphasized and overemphasized about not bringing up individuals' names, which was not our intention anyways. We were going to have to use examples, sure, absolutely, to communicate our message and to express our feelings and explain things further. But we did not have to use names. We were not intending to use names. And that was driven home partially to help support his idea, the pastor's idea that there are lots of things that we don't need to bring up at all because we don't need to talk about certain people. Uh, highly inappropriate, highly irresponsible of leadership to handle things that way on starting a meeting on what is and is not acceptable to discuss in a meeting that was called by individuals on our side. He said he invited the others that you know we weren't expecting to be there to be witnesses to whatever happened and we explained that we didn't really like being them being sprung on us especially with a very specific you know personal story to tell and the person with the story to tell considered it and they said that they would also share it with them and we took the time we explained that some of the things he said that we were not allowed to talk about were things that were just absolutely necessary to talk about they were really important to our stance if we omitted them like there wouldn't be a point of being there because these are important and this part took a very long time it felt like eternity it was probably about 30 minutes i'm guessing yeah i would say it was 30 minutes and so everybody was called back in and we're like, okay, I guess we're starting now, <laughs> even though we just already started and we're told that we can't talk about anything. Um, so we gave our introduction that had been prepared and it just explained our stance of wanting to better the church and that we were interested not in causing problems, but in making things better and not in hurting people. We just wanted things to be safer. So we passed out our paperwork, and the first thing we discussed was the security policy because we felt like this was the most obvious issue that could easily be corrected. So I introduced the security policy change and the change that uh, needed to happen 
The immediate changes were to at least reinstate the instant replay functions to perform our daily duties per services, and then to include uh, at least the security head or director, or even the leads, uh, there were a few leads on the team, to be included on the video access um, as part of the review function. So there's at least some oversight and transparency. The pastor immediately agreed and said the security thing could be taken care of and revisited. He understood why the instant playback was important and said that it would be immediately reinstated. Uh, This left me with a a good spirit. Uh, The only pushback that we saw out of the security policy was pastor was very concerned about me having the recorded footage of the incident with Lily and he was concerned that I had church property in my own personal uh, keeping Um, and he was very he was very direct and uh, very aggressive about that statement and I rebutted the statement with that there is no formal retention policy in the church regarding security or anything else really Um, and that I was the Uh, secretary of the church security team and that was the only way I could keep recorded record uh, at the time and I agree that we needed a new retention policy for that and that kind of cooled the discussion down and again the rest of the security policy changes felt like it was getting it was going to get met and uh, everyone agreed on and everyone was on the same page and then we moved to the abuse policy So there was a point at some point before this when Estelle told me about the sex offender in the church and how pastor had told you that it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, like what he did with the child. Yeah. So I had had a meeting with him prior to this. It was a few weeks. I'm not really sure how long, like what the time frame was, but we had talked. I, the purpose of that meeting with him was just for me to share my heart and say, look, there have been several instances where women don't feel safe. And my theme for that message, for that meeting was safety. And I brought up the sex offender because I wanted him to hear the point of how would a woman in the church who knows of this man's offenses feel safe walking into the church and seeing him standing behind a microphone teaching. How would that make her feel? She knows what this man has done. And he said, well, people don't know about that. And I was like, yes, they do. Because I know personally, I have little kids living in the city, needing to know who your neighbors are, we find out these things because it's important to us. And it is especially important in a church where our kids are not being protected. So then we got into a conversation and he said, well, you know, I'm just going to tell you exactly how his offense went, how it happened, what his thing was that got him this sex offender list. He said, this sex offender list doesn't bother me at all. And he told me that he essentially told me that this man had told him he got tricked by a 15-year-old into having relationship with her and he didn't know. And he said that he could totally understand how a 25-year-old man 
could mistake a 15-year-old for a grown woman and any red-blooded man would have those feelings and he could totally understand and that this doesn't bother him at all. And that really upset me a lot. And multiple people, I know women in the church that have expressed that this does matter to us and our safety. And we thought this was an important part of our case for this policy. And when Estelle told me about this, I didn't believe her. I thought she was exaggerating. I'm like, pastor wouldn't say that. That's just, you can't say that. Like, that's wrong. So I thought, you know, maybe there was some element of truth, but she must be exaggerating. So when we were at this meeting, it was one of the questions asked, like, I believe you Estelle asked for clarification. Like, did did. you say this? And he repeated exactly what Estelle had told me. And I was just shocked. I could not believe that she didn't exaggerate at all. Like, it was exactly like that. And I think I was just, like, stunned at this mo- at this moment. Like, wow, okay, you think it's okay because she looked 18. Okay. Wow, I, like, I didn't even know what to think. I didn't know how to respond. I was just really disturbed. Yeah, and when he said it was okay because she looked 18 was a defining moment of, this is not the man I know. So we went further and talked about times that some of us were abused or sexually harassed by others. And we mentioned a few other things. And one of the things that pastor said is that, well, you know, we got to worry about the relatives of these people. Like, you know, if a man is harassing women, well, we, we don't want to make a big deal about it because, you know, their grandma is someone really important in the church. And we're just like, I don't know why that, like, I can't personally figure out why that matters, who they're related to, when they're harming someone, scaring someone, harassing someone. And we, we just didn't really know what to do because this wasn't the response we were expecting. We weren't expecting, like, complete defensive in this way, I guess. There were several times during this when he told us we can't mention any names and every single instance where he said we are not mentioning names, he is the one who brought up the name every single time. It was almost comical because he was like, don't you dare say their name. And then he did every single time. The few other things that I want to add my perspective on is how blindly members of the leadership followed the pastor. Absolutely blindly. There were no attempts. The conversations, I am in disbelief to think that every individual on the leadership team was in full support of everything that was discussed from the leadership side and especially from the pastor. Because there were some very severe things that were mentioned that were just inappropriate. I don't care if it was from years ago. The way that women were talked about, the way that parental discipline was talked about was disturbing. It was very bothersome. And I think part of the reason why it was not called out was because knowing that all of his children are grown and out of the house. If he still had children at home, it would have been even more disturbing. 
to feel that to know and feel that that's the way he felt things needed to be handled but there were plenty of subsections that were discussed that were just beyond belief that everyone would have been in support from but no one spoke up no one talked against what the pastor was saying because they were following him blindly whatever he was saying was okay and good to go no matter how far-fetched it was and one of the worst parts of the conversations were revolving around what it meant to feel safe coming to church because that was practically what all of this was about was about making sure that the church was a safe place for children and for women because of the way that men were talking to them treating them touching them and making them feel and that comparison was then made by the pastor himself that he wants to make sure that he feels safe in church too and that he doesn't have to worry about what women are wearing at church because that is a comparable to physical safety is worrying about what you're looking at apparently and that dove into a deeper conversation where men from leadership were just discussing about how inappropriate it was for what women were wearing and that women were doing it on purpose and that if a if a man makes mistake and has bad thoughts it's because of a woman and she's doing it on purpose and ludicrous things of that nature and we call them out for an absolutely disgusting a deacon was sitting next to me and i stopped him and i said i don't know what kind of men you know but i know plenty of men it does not matter what a woman is wearing they are going to think what they want to think no matter what so it is not on the responsibility of a woman a man can do what he needs to to not be inappropriate with women it was disgusting and so inappropriate of leadership christian leadership of these men to feel that it was appropriate to put the responsibility of men's actions on something that women were doing i i still have i still am baffled by that still baffled by that and still disturbed by that one of the things that pastor said is that when the incident with arnold occurred his opinion was that we should have taken lily straight to arnold and told lily oh arnold's a great guy and he made a mistake and let's work this out and this shocked me. That's not what you do when you don't take a child right back to their abuser after they've been hurt. That just literally seems like the worst possible thing to do at that moment. And that's what pastors suggested we do. So at this point, uh, the group member shared their story and it was deeply moving I won't go into the details of what it was, but it was a very deep story with much emotion and it just, almost everybody, you know, you could see some tears in their eyes. Like I felt teary-eyed even though I had heard it before. And at this point, the pastor, he was teary-eyed himself, he said he didn't realize the level that we didn't feel safe. And we were like, wow, this, 
this might be it. So then we officially proposed making a policy. And pastor was like, you know, like, may, like maybe this is a good thing. You know, we could we'd use one. We were thanked by several members of, of leadership and their wives as we left, as we're ending. Several people, especially the wives, were like said to us, thank you so much for doing this. This is really needed. Um, this has been something that our church has needed for a long time. We really appreciate you guys bringing this up. And we wrapped up that meeting by making another meeting and agreeing that the rebellion would make an effort to put together a policy because one of our big points is that we didn't want to just be like, hey, there's a problem, but we also wanted to be like, we are willing to help with the solution. So not just telling them there's a problem and then being like, go fix it. Mm -hmm. So we were like, we are willing to work on this. And they agreed. Yes. It's like, yeah, let's let's do that. So at the end of all of that, we felt, I felt at least, victorious. Like, wow. You know, it took a while and there was a lot of scary stuff going on, but they listened and they agreed. And it went better than I imagined it would. And, you know, we were still kind of wondering about how the follow through would work, but I went to bed happy that night. You know, maybe we could make a difference. You know, maybe we could fix things. Maybe we didn't have to leave. Maybe this would make everything all better. And that's the way I felt that night. I agree. I, we, we felt very excited, surprised, really. I think I felt surprised because none of this seemed like it was ever going to work out. I was very skeptical that they were going to agree to any of this. And I still had some skepticism. I was very, very surprised and relieved that maybe this might actually be a step in the right direction. All of the work that we poured into this, all of the hours of compiling notes and statistics and evidences and, uh, and policy drafts, it seemed like it was paying off and we were all on the same page. We had hope. I do want to commend... Um all the families that were participating in the meetings, uh, we felt good. Uh, by the end of the first family meeting, we thought there was a breakthrough because the pastor broke down and cried. Uh, we thought that that was going to be the breakthrough. And there was some breakthrough because the baffling part was that the wives of the deacons and the Sunday school director who was in attendance chimed in around that time about saying how either they had their own personal experiences with men mistreating them or their daughters had had experiences. And that was it. That was the moment that was saying, this is it. This is why we are doing this because it's not just us. It's not just our families. It is all these women and all these children in this church are having to deal with this. And it needs to be addressed and it needs to be taken care of. My wife, Rachel, had been through things and I was there to help her with that. I was present, I was watching it, and I was on guard for it. And I had to handle some situations. But there are so many women who have no one looking out for them and women and children who are in situations where they do not have someone, like even if they do have someone who would be looking out for them, they're separated from them. They, they're they not with them the entire time. 
And these are things that they should not have to worry about, especially when coming to church. They shouldn't have to worry about it at any point in time, but especially coming to church. It's supposed to be a safe place. But apparently that wasn't important to them. And it was just so sad and so extremely disappointing. After the first meeting, there was a glimmer of hope. There was, there was so much optimism because after the meeting, there were more casual conversations going on specifically with the pastor. He wanted to talk to us again, and we had a good conversation with him, and we felt like there was a breakthrough. The women of the wives of these men in leadership talked about how this conversation was necessary, that it had been long overdue that a conversation like this was happening. And so we felt like we were moving in the right direction. But yet again, unfortunately, nothing would prepare us for what would come up in the future meetings.